your Bible with you, you can open it up to Luke chapter 15. I also would love if you would, uh, you know, kind of save your spot there, and we're also going to flip over this morning to Galatians chapter 4. Um, is it? Do you think it's important for when I uh, write a sermon or come up with a sermon that I should read scripture before I... So I I just think it's important when you're hearing a sermon that you should also read scripture. I don't know, it just makes sense to me. So that's that's why it's important uh when you know it hasn't always been been something that we've done every Sunday but but uh it's something that that I have an increasing value for that we as a people read scripture together. If you didn't bring your Bible uh we're running out of them. We're going to have to get more but uh if there's a few Bibles under in some of the baskets and also of course, you can use your smartphone. I use my smartphone, so if I see you using your phone in church, I will assume it's a Bible. There's no shame, unless you're Facebook messaging. For shame, then. Luke chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 4. The very beginning of Luke chapter 15, it starts out, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, him being Jesus, to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And remember the Pharisees and the scribes, they were like the religious elect of the time. He begins to tell these parables. He tells three stories in a row. And the first one is about a, a, a man who uh, lost a sheep. He was a shepherd and he lost one of his sheep. And he went and he found the sheep and he rejoiced. And he called his neighbors together and they rejoiced. And then the second parable is about a woman who had ten gold coins. Or was it silver coins? Or was it just coins? I, I can't remember. The point is, silver? Silver? She lost one, and she turned her house upside down to find that coin. And when she found that coin, she brought all her neighbors together, and they rejoiced. And then the third parable is the parable so famously coined as the prodigal son. This is a, when you see the heading of the, of the chapter, that is not uh, scripture. That was added in just for context, so we could figure out where different things were in the Bible. You know, when when the original Bible was written, they didn't write, like, Paul wasn't, like, writing, like, okay, verse 13 here. That was added later, right? So the heading of the paragraph is uh, traditionally labeled the prodigal son. Is that in everyone's Bible? The prodigal son, does anyone have anything different? The parable, the lost son, the parable of the lost son. 
Oh, I'm I'm talking. I'm sorry. Uh, starting at verse eleven. Parable of the last son. Okay. It says a man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, "Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me." So, he, the father, divided his wealth between them. You see, the father took what belonged to him, and before he died, in his long before he died, he divided his wealth, like his son requested, and gave him his inheritance. His inheritance early. You know, inheritance is something that we receive when? When someone dies. Okay, but this son demands that he gives him what belongs to him before it actually belongs to him. Genesis chapter 1. It says, And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and of the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves. See, God, as a father, has given us access to everything. He has called us to steward the earth, to steward what belongs to the father. But this son says, I don't want just to steward your stuff. I want it to own it as mine, that I can do what I want with the stuff that I did not earn, that I did not make, that I did not create. We understand Joseph is, a, is an amazing story about a man who owned nothing but had access to an entire kingdom. Do you know that's how God has created mankind? Do you know that's, that story right there is so symbolic on so many levels, but that's God's position with man, saying you have access to the entire thing, but guess who's ruler? First Corinthians ten twenty six it says the, the the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, making reference to Psalm twenty four, verse one, saying, The earth is the Lord's footstool. In this parable, we see the son basically say to the father, I'm treating you as though you are dead. Give me what belongs to me. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to kind of jump back and forth between the two. Chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 2. I mean that the heir, the one who is going to inherit, the heir, as long as he is a child, 
is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Jesus, in this parable, is showing the heart of man. The heart of man that would say to God, we don't want to be under your guardianship. We can do it on our own. Give us our inheritance now. While we are still under, the, as, as Galatians says, the elementary principles of this world, the reality is, is, is Jesus is telling this, world, the, this story of how the world had said to God, we don't need you. We want what is yours now. We had looked into Genesis. We had heard of the story that God had given dominion and rulership to people, saying, would you steward this? Would you have dominion over the earth? And he created two trees in Genesis 2, 6, 2, 9. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and is good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we know the story of Adam and Eve, we know that God had said, look, you, all of this is yours except for one thing. This tree right here is off limits. This tree belongs to me. Steward everything, but don't steward this tree. This is mine. One of the trees gave everything that was of life, and one of the trees only gave that which belonged to God. Human hearts have continued to eat from a tree that doesn't belong to us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. See the parable of the prodigal son. The son says to the father, I wish you were dead. Give me what would be given to me if you were dead. In the story of the garden, the moment that her teeth broke the skin of that fruit and the juices hit her tongue. Her eyes were open and mankind's eyes were open 
And we no longer in our hearts said to ourselves, we are like God. We can do it on our own. We don't need God to heal us. We can create cures for diseases. We can build a tower to heaven. We don't need God. We didn't even come from God. We came from ourselves. That moment, secular humanism, the spirit of secular humanism entered the earth. We recently have put a name and built a doctrine around it, but it's been in existence far beyond it's ever been labeled. And I'll read you the definition of this. The, the philosophy of life stance of secular humanism embraces human reason, ethics, and philosophical naturalism, which specifically rejects religious dogma, supernaturalism, pseudoscience, and superstition. And the basis of morality and decision-making, secular humanism assumes that human beings are capable of being ethical and moral without religion or God. It does not, however, assume that humans are either inherently evil or innately good, nor does it present humans as being superior to nature. Rather, the humanist life stance emphasizes the unique responsibility facing humanity and the ethical consequence of human decision. You know, this idea that we in of ourselves, outside of some religious dogma, or outside of the existence of God, can determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. We know in of ourselves what is good and evil. We don't need God to determine that any longer. It's interesting, uh, the trim in my house... If someone came over and, and I said, what color is that trim? They'd say it's white. But when I hold it up next to something that is white, they would see that it's antique white. I don't know, some off-white color. The reality is, is, is we love to think that we can create something without contrasting it to what is pure and holy. That we can determine what is right and wrong without having any context to contrast it to. How does that make sense or reason? That secular humanism is the same idea that justified the, the, the massacre of 11 million people during the Holocaust. It's that same reasoning that says the life inside of a woman, the life, that unborn child, does not have any rights whatsoever. That we determine whether it lives or dies. Because we are God. And the list can go on and on and on. Slavery in this country. Human secularism. Or secular humanism. 
the massacre, the list can go on. Here's the thing. Here's the reality. The idea that we are neither good or evil, that we fall somewhere in the middle. This idea that that we're neither evil or innately good is such a false concept because what the scripture says is that we have all fallen. We have all sinned, every single one of us. In fact, here's the reality. Even the most saintly person in this room can't get through one week can't get through one week without having a selfish thought, without having a, a, a conversation where manipulation isn't somewhere in there. In fact, I guarantee that most of us, before we leave this room, won't already have a selfish response or, or, or some kind of anger or, or some kind of, of, of evil thing. In most cases, it'll even be towards your spouse. And to say that we are neither good nor evil. To say that we have no need of a Savior. To say that there isn't something that is broken in us. That we can't fix ourselves. That in itself is evil. That in of itself and I'm sorry I am sorry if there is someone in this room that I have offended because my heart is that you would not be offended my heart is that you would hear my words and you would ponder This idea that we can judge what white or black is without ever seeing what white or black is. That was just verse 11 and 12. This is what the son did. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless giving. He took everything the father had and he made it his own. And he went as far away as he could from the father. The word prodigal actually means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. I know that just convicted someone in the room. He blew it all, thinking he knew best and that he could do best, hating how careful his father had been particular over every single resource hating how his father had order over everything. He said, we don't need this order. We just need to order a pizza. We need to order some hookers. 
That's what the scripture says. Verse 14. And then he had spent, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine across, uh, Famine arose in that country, and he became in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to feed the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he wandered from God, when we wander from God, And we are living as far away from him as we can. Without a doubt, there will be a famine. Without a doubt, there will be a time where hard things happen. And you will be left with nothing. And no one around you will give you anything. In fact, I know that there are probably people in this room today. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to point you out. I don't even know who you are. May say, I feel like I am like this son. I don't know where, when, what point in my life that I have chose to walk away from God. But I know that I'm here feeling like someone who is trying to eat among pigs and feeling like nobody is giving me anything. I feel like famine has hit my life in so many different ways. Seventeen, Verse 17, it says, But he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. He knew that in his father's house, servants never lack. Let me say that again. In the father's house, servants never lack. In the father's presence, in those who dwell under the shelter of the wing of the Most High God, You don't experience famine. Famine happens around you, but it doesn't happen to you. It says, when he came to himself. Underline, if you have a pen, underline that scripture. That's important. When he came to himself. There was a shift that happened. There was a perspective change. If, if you've been around City Light long, long, you know we talk about repentance. Repentance uh, uh, doesn't mean that we're sorry. 
Jesus came with a message saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It says, change your perspective. It says, come to your senses. That's what repentance means. Change the way that you look in the world. And Jesus' message was change the way that you see things. Because if you saw things the way that I saw things, you would see that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That God is standing in front of you. You are not far off. You are not far off. The interesting thing about repentance versus sorrow is sorrow always looks behind you. Sorrow always deals with that in the past. God can handle that. God can handle your past. But the responsibility for you is to move forward, is to arise. And he arose and he headed toward his father. That is not God's responsibility. That is your responsibility. God can do many things in your life, but he cannot lead you to repentance. He cannot make you repent. He cannot make you change. He can bring the water to you like a stubborn horse. But he can't make you drink. Thirsty with a famine. But that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I have a hard time reading the scripture. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. The King James Version, I love the imagery. It says, he ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. Kissed a son who said, I want you to die so that I can have what belongs to you. And Jesus told this story, and he could have left out. He was a far way off. He could have said, and he arrived at the doorstep. But no, the character of the father was not one who waited till he was at the doorstep, but waited until he made an inch move towards the father, and the father went a mile to get him. That is the God that we serve. That is the God... That when you, when your heart says, God, I have just enough strength to face your direction, God moves in. Because he is a good, good father. That is who he is. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he would give his only son to make 
This wretch, his treasure. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were a great way off from the Father, he turned to you and ran to you and threw himself around your neck and gave you many kisses. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the song continues. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turned his face away. As wounds which marred the chosen one brings many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulder. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice called out. Among the scoffers, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. And Sarah said it earlier, I know that it is finished. John, the famous verse. 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, King James would say, begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That Greek word for begotten means monogenus. Mono being one. Genus meaning kind. God sent his one-of-a-kind son. God sent a son that was so unique. There was not one like him. There was not one like this one son. Who lived a perfect life. When the world ran from God, had taken from God, and said, God, I wish you were dead, God gave. When we have said, we don't need you, God gave. God gave himself. But the Father said to his servant, verse 22, Bring quickly the best robe. Bring my robe. My prized possessions, the only thing I have left. Bring my robe. 
and bring my ring and put it on him and bring my shoes and put them on his feet and kill the calf. Make a sacrifice. Because my son, he was dead. But now he's found. He is lost. And now he is found. And they began to celebrate. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this... I know with all my heart his wounds have paid my ransom. Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you feel the weight on that? That we, that we may come back to the Father. As children that were once dead, we become adopted back in. The story's not over. Now this older son was in the field, and he came, and he drew near to the house, and he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come, for your father had killed the fattened calf, because he had received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated implored, asked, requested him. And he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me one goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But then... The son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You kill the fattened calf for him? And he said, Son, you are always with me. I don't know, God. This is hard for me. The response that the Father gives shakes me to the core. He doesn't kick him. Come on. 
son, you were always with me. All that is mine is yours. It's always been yours. It is fitting for us to, be, to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost. And is found. And as I've meditated on this verse this week. God showed me a picture. I mean it wasn't long. It was fast. It's faster than what it's going to take me to articulate it. And it was the younger brother coming back, and instead of the father receiving him, seeing from him from a distance, far out, I saw a picture of the older brother standing at the property line, seeing his younger brother coming. And in the, in the picture God showed me, he said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. You've wasted everything. You've already spent yours and now you're coming back to get mine? Get out of here. You're no longer the father's son. Your father's dead to you. And as fast as I snapped my fingers, I saw this picture of the face of the older brother. And I saw my face there. And in the younger brother, I saw the faces of many people that I have disqualified, that I have judged, that I've said they have no hope. They've abused grace too many times. The grace has lifted off of them. They don't deserve grace as though I dictate who deserves grace and who doesn't. And face after face, the Lord began to reveal the wickedness in my own heart. And so long I've identified with the younger brother saying, thank you, God, I've been lost and now I'm found. While yet saying, you don't belong here. You may look at my life and say, George, that's, that's just not you. I challenge you to look at your own heart. And I think you can see the face of the older brother in there. some point you have been calloused to a son or a daughter of God. At some point you and I have cast judgment saying they don't belong here. They've ruined it. They've used it. They've abused it. And now they're gone. Three strikes, buddy. See, neither brother had the heart of the father. Both were slaves. One had took 
everything the father had and came back to say, I will be your slave. One had been slaving his entire life saying, I want everything the father has. But none of them wanted the father's heart. And the father said to the older son, son, you have been with me. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants. For servants does not know. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Eve ate of that fruit to gain knowledge. And Jesus is saying, I no longer call you servants, but you are my friends. Because the knowledge that it doesn't belong to you is now given to you through Jesus. Galatians 4, 6, the very end. This is where we'll close. And we're going to do communion here in a little bit. But to wrap this up, it says in Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Daddy, God, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave. You no longer have to look to God. For what is he going to give me? But you are now a son. Do you know in the, in the, in the, the Jews, the, the ancient Jews, they, they, would, they would see their sons as replicas of themselves. When they looked into their son, they would see themselves it was common for a, a businessman to go out into the market with his son when his son was mature and say, this is my son. When you see him, you see me. In him, I am well pleased. There are many people in this room that have an I that are connecting themselves to one of these two brothers and I would hope that all of us can identify in one way or the other with one of the brothers we are going to take communion together as a family The amazing thing about communion is it gives us time to reflect on our hearts and to say, God, would you search me? Would you take the younger brother out of my heart? Would you take the older brother out of my heart? While we're taking communion, Sarah and I are going to be in the front row. And uh, we're going to play some music, and we're just going to just be there. And if anyone in this room would say today, I have been like the younger brother, 
and I need to get right with God. I want you to make a brave step in that direction. Like the younger brother arose and he went. Today I want to challenge you, come talk to Sarah and I. We would love to talk with you and pray with you. At this time, Caleb and Taylor, can you cue the music up? I'm going to pray and how we do communion in this house is... Uh, you know, I don't care if what background you came from, if you're Catholic or Methodist or whatever, we are a family, and that's what the table of God is here for. His body was broken for our sins, and his blood was shed for our redemption. So, Lord, we just thank you that you have done incredible things, that you have brought us back to the Father, that you have made a way for us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can partake of communion. There's tables in the front and in the back. As wounds which mother chosen Bring many sons to glory.
Officially released, but we're gonna. You know what? We're gonna keep the music going. If you want to have conversation, if you want to chat, I welcome you guys to to uh, go out into this coffee bar. I know it's small, but you can even overflow into the kids' classroom. But I just want to keep this place this Sunday. Just just the music going for people to continue whatever they're doing with the Lord and the prayer. And if I will be in this room, if you need prayer. I will be here in this room until everyone has received prayer. But this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer the day I know you'll raise me up again 